Thanks, Thomas, for moving that microphone. I was worried about looking really short. Okay. John chapter 6, verses 15 through 21. If you will stand in our great God's honor. We'll read our text. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again into the hills by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or four or three and three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the one who is the word. Uh, Speak to us as you already have. We need to hear from you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In 2014, Andrea Pete, an avid runner in Raleigh, North Carolina, had just finished a marathon, probably in the best shape of her life. But in the days ahead, she had real difficulty recovering, regaining her strength. Finally, she went to have some tests run uh, with her doctor, and she discovered that uh, she had been diagnosed with ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. So the doctor told her um, that usually means you have two to five years left. And so she thought, what am I going to do? And she made a decision. She said, instead of waiting to die, I want to live. And what she loved to do was marathons. Her body was not able to run a marathon, but she got a special tricycle trike that um, she used, and she entered a marathon. (laughs) She came in last place an hour after the last person who was in front of her, but she finished, and she thought, that's my last race. But what she didn't realize is that in October 19th of this year, she finished her 50th marathon. One in every state of the United States of America. And uh, this is, she wrote a memoir. They've done a documentary on her. She's still alive with ALS here 2014. I mean 2023, almost 24. Anyway, in her memoir, she wrote, or her husband wrote, I hope that her story can be used to show people how to take on whatever marathon is in their lives, whether it's ALS or anything else. And then in an article written by Andrea, I want to share her words. The worst thing that happens to you, it doesn't define you unless you let it. If you just put one foot in front of the other, there's really no telling where you can end up. Today, Jesus... And the disciples, the disciples found themselves in a storm in the boat. 
I couldn't be a sailor because I'm prone to motion sickness. As a matter of fact, when Cindy and I got married, her parents gave us a gift to go on a cruise to the Bahamas. But uh, this little boat didn't have a stabilizer on it. And man, did I get sick. Uh, you know, great food, but I couldn't enjoy it, right? Oh, and so I, you know, remember those days. <laughs> storms can be difficult when we face personal storms in our lives. I've said on countless occasions here that I believe that you're either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or about to enter a storm. And I would say in some cases, like Andrea Feet, storm is the norm. And yet, your next step is ahead of you, and our God is there. Um, I want to look at four principles this morning from our text. The first is, weather is unpredictable. Look back at uh, John 6, 14. It says, then those men, that is all the folks that were fed miraculously, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, <laughs> he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. They had just experienced this crazy miracle where there were thousands of people who had followed Jesus and, and they were hungry. As a matter of fact, many of those people probably were often hungry. But they were at the point of real need. And, and you know the story, we, we looked at it last week, thousands were fed by Jesus. And so the disciples were pumped. They were on that spiritual mountaintop. They're like, yeah, Jesus, we're ready to go. What's the next thing you're going to do? I mean, it's got to be exciting, after all. So they were pumped. But what they did not expect to happen next was the storm that was around the corner. The truth of the matter is, the weather is always unpredictable. I have a weatherman who lives across the street from me and a former weatherman that lives a couple of houses down. They don't always get it right. Neither do we. We don't know what lies ahead. Only our God truly does. I want you to notice it in verse 15 what Jesus said to the disciples. Um, it tells us that he departed again to the mountain. He headed, he headed back um, to the mountain. Why? Why did he do that? Well, a couple of reasons. There was a crowd of people out there that wanted to force him to be a king. He did not want to be a politician. That was not why he came. So he needed to get away. Second reason, guys, I love you, but you know what? We're together 24-7. Need a break. <laughs> I need to go alone and to be with the Father. And the guys are like, what? That's, that's not part of my plan, you know. Verse 18, it says, The sea arose because a great wind was blowing. The, the picture there in the original language is somebody being suddenly awakened from their sleep. Uh, man, we have our plans, 
But sometimes we are rudely awakened because our plans are not what the next step is that we face. Uh, I, I try to check the church answering machine a couple of times a week. Um, I didn't check it Friday. I checked it yesterday about noon. And I got a message on the answering machine from, well, actually I got two messages from two friends I haven't seen or talked to in over a decade. And they wanted to make sure I knew um, that our friend Barry Johnson had had a stroke. And I said, so anyway, I tried to call both my friends. And you know, in this day of mobile phones, I expect people to answer immediately. You know, but that didn't happen. I got voicemails, and so I waited three or four hours for somebody to get back in touch with me. And my friend got back in touch with me, and he had told me that Barry uh, had had a stroke. Actually, the message was actually from Thursday evening, and it had happened the previous Thursday. And so they're, they're like, what do, you, do you know anything about it? Of course I didn't know anything about it. And I didn't have any way to contact the family. And so uh, my friend passed on my number through another friend to Barry's sister, and she got back with me last night. Uh, he's had a massive stroke. They're moving him to hospice uh, from Memorial Hospital in Asheville. And I don't know the timeline when they're moving him. Uh, And so, anyway, now he's still in mission, uh, in a step-down room, uh, waiting for them to transfer him to this hospice house. Barry is my, I've talked about him a lot in, in church, but he's my uh, longest friendship. Well, we go all the way back to elementary school and just have the kind of friendship. It's been interesting the last year or so. Um, we'll just kind of call each other. A lot of times it's just quick calls. What's happening today? What's going on? Tell me. So, you know, he'll call, say that, I'll say, I'll share this or that kind of private thing. He'll go, okay. Anything else? No. All right, let's pray. So he'll pray for me. That's it. Hang the phone up. A couple of days later, I'll call him, kind of do the thing in reverse. <laughs> and so that's kind of been our friendship the last couple of years. And guys, I'm going to miss him. I know Dwayne's grown close to him, too. Uh, he loves coins. So he's been at the coin shop. Man, it hurts when the storms come. And the storms don't give you a warning. You know, you, you get that medical notice that you have this disease, cancer or whatever it is, or, or a loved one or a friend, you know. Something tragic has happened, and you can't fix it. You can't change it. So, uh, there's an old proverb that says, you want to make God laugh, make plans, right? It just doesn't work that way. And yet our God is a good God even when we cannot see the goodness. There's a thing called common grace, which means we all get sunshine. We all have air to breathe. We all have blessings that we take for granted and they are from a good God who shows us that kind of love. In um, Matthew 6.45, it says, The Father causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, uh, in verse 16, it says, 
when the evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. That is, they got in the boat and they set sail without Jesus. Question, why'd they get into the boat? Well, yeah, to get to the other side. That's a good point, Scott. That was certainly uh, part, part of it. Uh, which leads us to the second lesson here. In life, God's the captain. Guys, we're just the crew. Okay. I want to look at a parallel passage, John chapter 6, that has this same account. And not John chapter, Mark chapter 6. I'm so used to being in John here lately, I guess. But in Mark chapter 6, it, it gives us a complimentary account. And uh, verse 45, <laughs> it says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. In the old King James, it even says it stronger. He constrained them. He compelled them. In other words, he said, guys, get into the boat. And they said, no, we need another miracle. And, you know, and then probably Peter and some of those other guys that were fishermen, they knew how to navigate a boat. They were used to being a captain of the boat. They're like, come on, Jesus, get in, let's go. But what they forgot or what they failed to realize is Jesus is the captain of the boat and only Jesus. You know, there's that bumper sticker that's, that people have on their cars that says, God is my co-pilot. Well, I'm sorry if you have that bumper sticker, but you know what? God is nobody's co-pilot. God is the one who calls the shots. God is the one who is in control of the day, whether we have blue sky or, or storms approaching or on the horizon. We are not in control. He is. Storms may be raging around you. Here's another question. Uh, were the disciples in that boat, in that storm, because they were disobedient? Because they were bad little disciples. And only bad little disciples have storms in their lives. No. They were in the boat because it was God's will. It was God's plan. We can't always understand why we're in the storm. But they had incredible confidence now that where they were, Jesus placed them there. This was not by accident. This was not because of their sin they were there because God intended for them to be there. If you remember when God prepared to set his people free from Egypt, there was a straight path that would have taken a lot less time. But they didn't take that route. It would have been to go up the coastline directly north and turn inland. But instead, he took them on a course where they were surrounded by mountains and desert and a deep sea that had to be crossed. It seemed like an impossible journey, and it took a long time. So the question is, why did God deliberately appear to put them into a trap? Because they needed to learn to trust Him. They needed to learn that God would take care of them. That God would get them where they needed to be. I want to share with you a quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the old prince of preachers we preachers quote. <laughs> He was speaking to his congregation and he said this, I believe the hard, hardest um, words that Christians 
have to hear are this, that the most unlovely Christians in all the world are those who have never had much trouble. And those who are the most sympathizing, loving, Christ-like are those who have had the most affliction. The worst thing that can happen in any of us is to have our path made too smooth. Wow. That's, I, that's my vote. I'm sure it's yours. Lord, give me the smooth life. But the smooth life means I don't need to know Jesus is leading me. I can do it myself. So when you see a cantankerous person always complaining, they haven't learned the lesson of that Jesus is with them. And so we need, you know, pray, Lord, um, give them the hard journey so they can learn you're with them. Now, if you're like me, sometimes when I get mad at people, I want to say, Lord, I want to give you some details. How I want you to make that journey hard for them. So, you know, they'll understand and really get it. Kick their butt, Lord. But uh, that, that's not his heart. He uses the tough times to show that we need him. Oh, just to understand, as, as one author wrote, you might write the script, but God has editing rights. He can change things in a hurry. We, uh, there are really only uh, two ties to my hometown now. It, it, everything has changed so much through the years. One of them is my friend Barry Johnson I told you about, who's about to enter, well, we might as well say he's in hospice. The other is a, a dear friend um, who's right at 90 years old, and her sister has very serious <laughs> cancer. And I never would have dreamed that the next funeral to go in my hometown would not be her, this lady who's struggling with cancer, that it would be my you know, oldest friend through the years. Uh, but you do not know what is going to happen. <laughs> you just simply do not. We're the crew. He's the captain. Third, God provides resources when you're in a storm. Um, look at verse 18 again. It says, The sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or, or four miles, um, the Sea of Galilee is only like eight miles wide and 12 to 13 miles in diameter. So they were like right in the middle of the lake. And I love it. Look at, look at the text. It says, They saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. Now, obviously you think they're afraid of the storm, but they're afraid also Jesus is walking on the... The, the water while there's a storm happening. But he speaks to them. He says, it is I. Do not be afraid. And there are three resources here from this text I, I want to point out. The first one is, he knows. They're freaking out. Not only is there this storm, but their teacher is walking on the water. This is crazy. Weird. Never seen anything like this before. I don't know what's happening. But Jesus knows. Look at back in Mark chapter 6, verses 47 and 48, the alternate account here. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. 
He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. So, you know, now just think about this, guys. Here's Jesus. He's on the land. They're like four or five miles away. Now, I know he's God, and he's got super sight, you know, that he's like, Oh, you see that little speck out there in the lake? That's my boys. They're, you know, they're rowing, you know, in the boat out there, you know? No, I don't think that's what happened. You know what? He is God. He doesn't have to see merely with his eyes. He already knows. He's fully aware of where they are. He knows. And you know what? He knows where you are. He knows about your storm. He sees he may appear to us to be far away, but as our God, He never is far away. Remember Job, who faced so much suffering. In chapter 23, basically in the chapter, he says, I go forward, I can't find you, God. I go backward, I don't see you, Lord. I look to the right, look to the left. Where are you, God. And yet I love it because when you come to the end of the chapter, he basically says this. He knows the way that I take, and when he's tested me, I will come forth as gold. So the truth he's trying to share is simply this. Although I can't find God, although I can't see God, he sees me. And he knows. I had a little trouble sleeping last night. I was grieving some, thinking about some of this stuff, and... Like I said, our plan is after church to go. I want to make sure that I am able to see my friend because I have no idea how long. Of course, none of us have any idea how long before we meet our maker, our creator. But try to get out there and see him. Anyway, kind of dread that. But on the other hand, there's also a sense of, I know he loves Jesus, man. I'm really not worried about what's going to happen after he dies. I guess I'm more worried about me, old sinful me, because I'm going to miss him. But anyway, uh, Psalm 139, what a great psalm. It just reminds us how God knows us. Listen to that. I'm just going to read through these first 12 verses. You have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit, and you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my laying down. My ways are always, always before you, Lord. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? <laughs> if I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths... You are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will be light, will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. He knows! Man, cherish that, church. Second one here, 
He prays back in the Mark chapter 6 instead of John 6. Verse 46, it says, After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Question, what's he praying for? Well, the text doesn't tell us, but it's hard for me not to believe it's not those guys on the boat. The disciples, the guys he's invested himself in. And John 17 beautifully tells us about how he prays. And here's a verse from John 17. He says, Father, I pray for those that you've given me, for they were yours and you gave them to me. I pray for them. And I love it as you go down in John 17 because he says that I pray for the disciples yet to come. Guess who that is? It's you. <laughs> it's me. You know, what a crazy thought. Jesus prays for us. Hebrews 7.25 is a, become a precious verse to me. Here's what it says. Therefore, He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. Isn't that good? Think about it. You think, man, I'm not good enough. Well, newsflash, you're not. But He is, see. You and I are not capable of saving ourselves, but it says, therefore, He is able to save how much? Completely! Those who come to God through Him. Man, completely, not partially. We're not on an installment plan. It's all ours in Christ. See, He always lives to intercede for them. We talk about needing a prayer partner. What better prayer partner can we have than Jesus Himself? And He is. He prays for us. And the third one. He comes. He comes to them in the storm. Back to uh, John chapter 6, verse 19. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat. And they were afraid, but He said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. When did Jesus come to them? Well, in some translations, it says the fourth watch. Uh, in this translation of the NIV, it says shortly before dawn. The fourth watch uh, was typically like between three in the morning and six in the morning. In other words, after they'd been out rowing themselves to exhaustion, and they're ready to give up, and they're screaming, and I, I don't want to imagine maybe some words... We shouldn't imagine. They're frustrated. They're upset. You know, they're crying out. And it's at this time, Jesus shows up. He shows up when they're wanting to give up. And I love the fact that He shows up. Another question. Why did Jesus walk on the water? Was He showing off? Look, guys, I can even twist and turn around. No, Jesus wasn't trying to show out. And I love this. One commentator made this great point. He said, Jesus came to them on the very thing they feared the most. The storm. They were afraid of it. They had been on this lake. There was no storm like this. They thought they were going to die. Those waves were big and that boat was about to toss over. 
It's interesting. Jesus came to them on the very thing they feared the most. It was the thing that became a footpath to Christ. So think about it. That storm that you're in, that suffering that you're experiencing, although you want it to end immediately, it may be the very thing that will become the path that takes you to Christ, that deepens your very walk with Him. In the deepest, darkest moment, the thing you fear the most may be where you see Jesus the clearest. I've closed with this story. Uh, well, no, I'm not, because i got a point after this. Sorry, I'll try to fly through here. Philip Yancey shares a testimony. Um, I just finished a book by Yancey on prayer. What a great book. But anyway, he, he shares this testimony. It was a chaplain, and uh, he loved to hike up big mount, large mountains and bicycle and run and all that stuff. He was on his bicycle after having climbed up a mountain, and he was headed back on this road, and he hit a storm drain, flipped forward off of his bike. Somehow his helmet came off, and he ended up on top of his helmet, crushed his spine, and he is a quadriplegic in a wheelchair now, and he's in constant pain, and he's praying for healing, and he's trying to navigate this new normal for him, uh, this new suffering in life. Uh, he ends up a, a chaplain now in a wheelchair and often ministering to people in some of the severest pain. Uh, he tells a story that he's in this one place. He's talking to a group of uh, people who are in great pain. And because he's in this wheelchair, many of them are stooping down so they can try to see him eye to eye. And then one of them happens to fall to their knees before him. And then before long, they all fall on their knees before him. And, you know, he's uncomfortable. But he said, then God spoke to me and he realized, I know that you hate where you are, my child, but you are in a great place because you are now forever at a place of kneeling. You see, through that pain, through that storm, through that difficulty, we cannot help if we allow God to do so, to be at the position of kneeling where we are open to God. All right, last one, and then I'm done. I won't lie again. I'm pretty sure it's the last point. John 6, 21, the sky uh, will clear. Now, I do realize sometimes the storm will be the norm, but it's going to clear when you go to heaven. So it will clear. Uh, it says, then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Uh, crazy miracle. They got in the boat, and instead of having to travel anymore on the sea, they were instantaneously at that place. God has a time frame for his storms. I don't know it. I wish I could tell you your storm will be over, you know, in 36 hours or whatever and put a time frame on it. But that's up to the captain of the ship, Jesus himself. He is the only one who fully knows the length of the storm. What I do know is that he promises the storm will not go to waste. One day the skies will clear. It may be in heaven when we are forever as we are meant to be and things are as they are meant to be. Or it may clear here, I don't know, but 
It reminds me of uh, Peter's letter, 1 Peter, uh, in verse 3 through verse 7. Great words, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. There, you know, a little while. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, back to our final verse here, 21. Um, that miracle. The storm's over. No more being on the water. They're immediately at the destination they're meant to be at. So... As I close, think about Storm at Clears. While you're in the storm, it is important to watch your attitude. Man, it's easy to be a grumbler. Hurry, Lord! I told everybody I've always failed the class of waiting. I do not like waiting. The problem is waiting can lead us. We have to understand that waiting is just the step before something we long for. So we're in that place of of waiting, but it doesn't have to be a place of bitterness. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, he says, My son, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. He, he disciplines us. He, he, he chastens us. There, there's a time of growth. We don't get through this life without being scraped up and bruised or, or storms. But then in verse 15, I, I love the verse, he says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God. Man, it's easy to miss the grace of God. I think about that all the time. God, what did I miss you today? Did I miss your grace today that you wanted me to have? Did I miss it? He says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. And here's the next part of the verse. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You see, the bitter root can grow up. And, and, and before we know it, if we're not careful, we can sour people on the sweetest one of all. Because we're so focused upon the storm that we're facing that we miss the fact that Jesus promises to be with us within the storm. Uh, Psalm 73, verse 24 says, You guide me with your counsel. You realize He's going to guide you. He, he hasn't left you, deserted you, abandoned you. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me in to glory. I, I don't know how long my friend Barry has, but I do know he has eternity once he clears this <laughs> storm. I read a story uh, this week about a couple who loved to ride a motorcycle. <coughs> and she's a photographer, devout Christians, married, deeply in love, all that stuff. Uh, they're riding on this narrow road. Uh, he decides it's time, good place to pass this truck. And so as he comes around the truck, he sees there's 
something in the road. There's nowhere to go. So he hits this object, and they fly through the air and all that stuff, and they end up in the emergency room and pretty banged up, right? But while they were there, there was a scan that showed she had stage one ovarian cancer. So here's the deal, guys. Did they want to wreck? No. Was it painful? Yes. But if they had not been in the wreck, they wouldn't have gone to the hospital and had the test and found out that she had this tumor stage one. It could have been a lot worse. So God actually <laughs> sent a blessing through something we would call a curse, right? We don't always understand. Verse 21, he says, Then they willingly went into the boat, uh, received Jesus into the boat. Um, I, I close with, with that simple truth. Don't leave Jesus out of your life. He wants to be in your life. He has done everything he can to be in your life. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who took on human flesh and can understand uh, what goes on in our lives because he, that's what he came for. And he died on our behalf upon a cross. Uh, he knows what suffering's like because he entered suffering so that we could find healing and peace. And so the question is, will you let God heal you? Will you let Jesus enter the boat of your life? Will you let him be the captain? Because I'm here to tell you, there's no one else that can get you through this life where you want to go. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for a chance to be together. Uh, just uh, great music and uh, time together and being able to look at your word. God, just speak. <laughs> Lord, uh, I just pray your spirit say far more than I did. Uh, that we would hear and that we would respond to you, Lord. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.